0: Lambreth's Photographic Atlas of Werewolf Metamorphosis, A Little Werewomen Story, narrated by Austin Finch. Lambreth's Photographic Atlas of Werewolf Metamorphosis was quite an ambitious piece of work, documenting the process of lupine transformation from beginning to end. But the story of this remarkable book and its author are shrouded in mystery. Mr. Arnold Lambreth had an unremarkable early life. Growing up as the middle child in an average household in suburban Ohio, he was not remarkably artistic or gifted according to his teachers, friends, and family, nor did he have much interaction with werewolves, as there were no lupine packs living in his hometown. In 1898, when he turned 18, he joined the U.S. Army. Lacking sufficient marksmanship for the Rifle Corps and having no other definable skills, he was assigned to be a junior photographer's assistant, responsible for taking pictures for training manuals and newspaper articles. In this role, he was frequently deployed to camps and installations where regiments of wolf soldiers were stationed and, for the first time in his life, was able to get to know several of them, observing them closely during maneuvers. He was said to be fascinated by their ability to transform on command and was neither disgusted nor frightened by them. Their rapid changes in limb and jaw length, the growth of fur, and the emergence of sharp teeth and talons were destined to become a subject of enduring interest to him, perhaps fatally so. After leaving the army in October 1900, Lamberth inherited a little money from an elderly aunt, enough to enable him to go to New York, rent a small studio, and try his luck at professional photography. During this time, he became a frequent attendee of various philosophical and quasi-scientific salons where wealthy, daring young wolfmen would occasionally participate in lectures and debates on mysticism, etheric travel, mind projection, and other topics of interest, attracting many humans who were curious about what lay beyond the prim borders of polite society. Information about Lambert's activities at these events is limited. He left almost no impression on the other attendees and when police came to question them after his disappearance, no one remembered him well. However, it is almost certain that Lambreth got the idea for his atlas in those gatherings where humans and werewolves mingled freely. It is also presumed that this is where he met the subject who was featured in his photographic plates. His model was well chosen, for he was able to hold the intermittent stages of transformation with remarkable steadiness displaying none of the violent tremors that most wolfmen exhibit during the process. Despite his unusual talent, the model remained entirely anonymous and never allowed a clear picture of his entire face or head to be taken at any point. Although only 31 of the 38 photographs Lambert took were recovered and published, his 1901 book is still considered a classic. The crisp, elegant descriptions are cited frequently both for their scientific as well as artistic merit. There is one part of the manuscript, however, that was never printed. Mr. Lambert's sole heir, a distant cousin who holds the rights to the book, has rarely permitted anyone to examine these unprinted pages, with one exception. The only expert who was given access to the material was Mr. J. H. Archibald. He summarized his findings in a report. To the Society for the Advancement of Lupinology in 1904, three years after Lambert's disappearance. His descriptions of the final, unpublished part of the atlas are highly disturbing. They bear no resemblance to the known stages of transformation in lupines.
1: The traces of fur that stand out on the visible extremities have not formed in the normal pattern, but they're thin and uneven. The skin underneath is therefore regrettably visible, for it appears to be diseased or afflicted with an inborn error of metabolism. Every inch is is devoid of pigment to such an extent that the light from my Rumkorff lamp seems almost to pass right through it, illuminating masses of spindly fibers and blood vessels that run underneath. Veins and arteries are extraordinarily large in places and appear to writhe and undulate in a manner that is reminiscent of a colony of parasitic worms.
0: Plate 33
1: This skin, if such a word can be applied to a surface which looks to be wrong side out, swells and and stretches as the upper and lower limbs continue to elongate far beyond what nature could have ever intended until the figure before me can hardly unfold itself, even under the lofty twelve-foot ceiling of this locked studio.
0: Plate 34. These sections are badly creased and wrinkled. The written lines are blurred by a sprinkling of droplets. Whether they are the drops of sweat or fallen tears, they have further obscured the writing and contribute to the picture of a man seized by irrational fear.
1: The aspect that seems most unusual, however, more so than the twisted, blackened teeth which protrude from the grinning mouth at all angles, the stunted, vestigial tail, or the shrill, guttural snarl it makes as the transformation finishes, are its eyes. They are a terrible rageful red harsh and resentful of all that walks, crawls, flies, or swims on the surface of our world.
0: Plate 35.
1: It speaks to me now, and as it opens its jaws, I can glimpse a tongue that must be bisected in multiple places, for, for parts of it move independently and randomly, slithering out It's almost like a writhing mass of serpents. The lamp is dying and the doors are locked. The studio has no windows, so there is no other source of light but the glow of those ravenous red eyes.
0: Plate 36. It is obvious from the last few pages that by the end, he was overwhelmed by extreme emotion.
1: It speaks to me of things that living beings should never hear. It sings a blasphemous song that makes me weep in agony. I would cover my ears to block out the sound, but I have been warned if I try to do it again, I will live the last minute of my life without ears or hands attached.
0: Plate 37. It is a great shame that these last few lines are completely insane, the hallucinatory visions of something almost unspeakably grotesque.
1: I am blessed to hear the song of the Maw. The dark litany. I am the first human in an untold eon to kneel in prayer and to close my eyes so that I may witness the majesty of the unseen face. There are those who would say it is lightless, but this is not so. There is a light there, a colorless light that glistens in the boiling darkness of the maw.
0: Plate 38.
1: I am permitted to take one last photograph, the greatest image ever captured. My heart has never known such joy.
0: There, the writing fades into a blurry smear, obscured by a spatter of darker droplets. However, they came to be, I believe they are the last traces of the sad life and bizarre death of Mr. Arnold Lambreth. According to the police report, Arnold Lambert vanished sometime during the night or early morning of January 25, 1901. Along with his camera, his clothes were found in the studio where he worked, neatly folded alongside the pages of his manuscript in a stack of crisp, well-developed photographic plates. His body was never found, nor has anyone ever determined the identity of the model whose photographs grace the pages of Lambert's photographic atlas of werewolf metamorphosis.